0: Welcome back to the Current Exchange by Metronic. Please enjoy today's episode. Maybe, Sachin, another challenging category are those patients with the bicuspid valve. So if we have a patient with a bicuspid valve who has, you know, moderately calcified aortic roots, it's not too extensive, and he's 70 years of age, what would you normally recommend in those patients? The the valve is more ovalized than circular in in those cases. Does that play a role for your choice?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question, Peter. And these patients are actually not uncommon. We see these uh, quite frequently in our valve clinics. So, you know, a lot depends on their anatomy. So we look at their anatomy very closely. We look at the ascending aorta size. Uh, we look at the type of bicuspid, the Severs classification. You know, pay particular attention to the uh, to the yun classification from Cedar sinai uh, from Raj Makar's group. And, uh, you know, if they have a very heavily calcified raphae with a very heavily calcified valve, and, and, you know, if they are not surgical risk, their surgical risk is not very high, then we'd probably lean more towards uh, surgical intervention for those patients. On the other hand, if they if they don't have a very heavily calcified RAFA. And, you know, if they're in their 70s and their preference is to have TAVR, then uh, as long as the TAVR anatomy is not high risk, then we would consider offering them TAVR. So we have a frank discussion with them. We, we go over the data. We tell them that, you know, these patients, you know, patients with bicuspid were not randomized in the randomized trials, but there's a lot of registry and retrospective data which suggests that bicuspid TAVR may be safe as long as the anatomy is not, uh, not high risk. Uh, there's slightly higher risk of uh, paravalvular uh, leak in these patients. So, we look at the anatomy very closely together with uh, our surgical colleagues and uh, have a frank discussion in the clinic and then uh, decide based on anatomy.
0: Yeah, great. So, and Brett, probably you have those discussions as well with the cardiologists at Emory. Now, this patient also has an ascending order of four centimeters. Does that change your recommendation? At
2: 4.0, it would not. I mean, if they are begging for a TAVR or, and they have suitable anatomy, and Taver is going to be a better option at four. At four point zero, I would not. When you get to the four and a half threshold and higher, you really need to pause when you think about putting a Taver in that patient, particularly if they're, you know, if their root is involved or any sort of manipulation during the Taver is going to cause the, uh, you know, undue stress on the aorta, et cetera.
0: Right. So, Mike, the options that you have as a surgeon, if you have an aortic root or an ascending order four point five centimeters and a bicuspid valve, what what are the options for you? What, what kind of valve type would you implant?
3: Well, again, if you typically, I use tissue valves. In anybody that's sixty or over, and if and if your root is reasonably normal size and it's just your sinir, then we do what's called a weed operation. We repair it. We Replace the aortic valve and we replace the ACE in the aorta. You know, most of these I do with a brief period of circulatory rest. So I can take it all the way up to the base of the inominate. I mean, generally it's a 10 minute, really pretty easy to do. If you clamp, you always leave some ACE in the aorta behind. Obviously, if your root's getting big, then we do a vental and uh, and that's fairly easy to do too. And one of the things we always try to do is make sure we implant our coronaries high, really stretch them up there. When and if we ever have to come back, we're going to have good coronary clearance. And we, of course, use valsalva grafts when we do that.
0: Right. And so could you use the Avelis valve with a piece of Dacron or? Two- so we can
3: take an Avelis valve. And we, we actually did this this week on a guy who had a metal allergy. So there's no way to use a connect graft. And I took a 25 Avelis valve and put it inside a 28 Valsalva graft. Now you can actually use a bigger graft if you want to and just sew it down to the same size. You want to make sure you get, ac- you know, but the 28 is the tube part. The, the sinuses are bigger than 28. So typically if you come back, you have plenty of sinus room. So right. It's very easy to, do, to build your own bio route. Does it take a long time? No, it takes about five minutes. Yeah, doesn't take long.
0: Yeah. So you said you, you implant the cornea also actually higher so that you can allow or a taver later on.
3: Yeah. Well, I always implant the right as high as I can, because otherwise it tends to kink. But I, I also try to mobilize the left and try to implant it up close to the top of the, the valsalva part of the sinus part of the graft. Again, so you, you get some plenty of room there. Yeah. Typically, if you have a big a big root, your corners have started to move cephalad anyway, and it's not too hard to move them up there.
0: Yeah. And Dr. Sashin, do, 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 do you experience any difficulties then later on To if you have a patient with you know the Vesulfa graft and a biological valve replacement to do a taver in a saver in this case.
1: Typically not, as long as the the coronaries are high. Uh, typically not. That's the most important thing. How,
0: how do you evaluate it? Whether you have enough room for to do a taver in this in a saver
3: any specific... Well, just we just have our CTA and we do it as we always do. You know, you look at the anatomy, we do a, you know, we do a valve to, you know, to coronary distance and anything over four millimeters is usually pretty safe. Anything over eight is always going to be safe. Less than four, I start to worry about it. Some people go to three. I get a little nervous at three, particularly if you have an externally wrapped pericardial valve. Of course, the valus is internally wrapped. So I think going up to four is very safe. Right. I think with the with
2: an, an internal mounted valve, like an avalus and the use of the valsalva graft, as Mike said, when you're constructing your bio route, it would be pretty hard to experience coronary obstruction, almost no matter where you put those coronaries, because the sinus of valsalva design
3: is pretty big. Yeah. 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 And of course, if we're doing a root, we're putting our commissures where the commissures are, and the coronaries are right between two commissure posts. So, you know, that that makes it a setup for basilica if you, if you need to do something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. And
3: Google, so if you
0: do a Taver first, let's say in a seventy-year-old, and that patient comes back. When he's 80, what do you normally consider in those patients?
1: So again, we would you know do a CT uh, at that time, you know assess the uh, anatomy. One option, of course, is uh, a tab and tab, as long as the anatomy is suitable, the coronary clearance is good uh, for a tab and tab. The other option, of course, is a TAVR explant and surgery. Now, you know some of the literature suggests that you know TAVR explant and surgery carries high risks, but you know in some you in, in, in hands of you know experienced surgeons like Dr. Reardon. The risk, you know, is is not very much high. And I, you know, he, I think Dr. Aidan should probably comment on this. But again, we would look at the anatomy very closely. Uh, and if, if TAV and TAV is an option, we would certainly consider that strongly.
0: Yeah. And patients that come then with an TAVR, a failing taver at the age of 80, and actually, if they're not a candidate for a TAVR in a TAVR, uh, when you operate those patients, Brad, how easy or how difficult it is it to take a taver out?
2: You know, you, you, you need to be very delicate so that you do, don't destroy their native tissue. And the vast majority, I think, can be explanted pretty well without destruction of native tissue. And then you have to peel the aortic valve leaflets. If you take your time off, you can maintain most of that normal anatomy, but everyone's a little bit different. I recently had to explant a TAVR during a type A dissection in a patient on dialysis and between the dialysis inflammation, pericarditis, and the inflammation caused from the TAVR around the root, that patient needed a root replacement. So it's a little different, but it's it's doable and we're, and we're getting better
3: at it. I think the real key there, Peter, is that surgeons need to learn to techniques. If you go to a surgeon and ask them, how was your first redo surgical aortic valve? They'll probably tell you why it was a little hard. I struggled. Mm-hmm. And now you've done hundred How is It was well, not so bad. I've now done 39 TAVR explants. We've developed little tips and tricks when we take out a self-expanding valve. We cut off a little piece of arterial tubing. We put a couple of number two silks through it and we pull it up and we basically recapsulize it and it just pulls everything to the center. And so as Brad said, the key is to be gentle and move things to the center. Don't pull or you'll rip things. Any other tips, uh, Michael, to take an evolute out? Well, the tips to take the evolute out is is to recapitalize it inside uh, inside a piece of arterial tube. You have it. You have arterial tubing there. It's free. Just yeah. cut off about three inches of it. Take some number two silk at right angles. Reach through with one of your uh, tourniquet grabbers. Pull it through, and just kind of pull it up in there. And it'll literally just recapsulize it. It moves everything to the center, so that you can see and just keep moving things in. And it, as long as you're moving to the center, you typically don't tear anything. No. And and cold saline is that I, I don't even use that anymore. You don't the capsule holds it in there. We used to try that. We we quit doing that. It just if you recapsulize it, you really don't need that. Okay. The problem is we used to try to put ice on it to see if we could crush it and keep it crushed. Well, as long as you're reputting it into a capsule. That holds it in the center. It's really quite easy. And the other trick is to get between the TAVR valve and the native leaflet. And that keeps you safe.
0: Yeah. A special category uh, searching is the patient with endocarditis, you know, and, uh, a TAVR with an endocarditis.
3: Half of half of our TAVR explants are endocarditis right now. And across right. the country, half of the explants are endocarditis. Yeah, exactly.
0: And is there any way that you, if the patient is not a surgical candidate, that you can treat those medically or is it no option?
1: These have been treated uh, medically with prolonged antibiotic therapy. And, you know, some of these that so-called, you know, sterile vegetations or sterile leaflets, you know, when they've been treated extensively with antibiotics and cultures are negative, you know, uh, there are reports of successful TAVR uh, or TAV and TAV in these cases. But that is sort of case by case basis. But, you know, vast majority of them will have uh, surgical intervention.
3: Brad will tell you, Peter and you know this. Peter is a surgeon. Endocarditis is different in everybody. There's some people have lethal endocarditis, and then Brad and I will see these people that have these huge root pseudoaneurysms. Those are not going to be cured without without operation. We just operated on a guy that had a uh, previous root bio root, and he had just basically disconnected his valve from his aorta and had a big pseudoaneurysm around his aorta.
0: Yeah,
3: let's no care what you do, you're not going to cure that without taking everything out and rebuilding it.
0: No, exactly not. No, that's a very extensive operation. Yeah. And then maybe the last topic is uh, about anticoagulation management. You know, in surgery, there's no real good data to show you what you should do.
3: Do you ever, Does everybody agree? Well, when I was young, we put everybody on Coumadin to let the knots heal. And then we quit doing it because a lot of data came out of the Mayo Clinic that didn't make any difference. And now that one paper came out of Sweden that said, if you, if you... Don't put them on cumin they have a higher mortality, which makes no sense to me whatsoever. So now the guidelines have gone back to cuminin. I mean, I'll, I'll defer to Brad and the Sasha, but I, I don't think it makes any difference, quite frankly. In the aortic position, the mitral position, I think is a totally different animal. Yeah. What do you think?
2: I don't know if it makes a difference or not, but I'm doing it in patients that will tolerate it mm. frequently. They're an AFib, and they're going to get anticoagulated ever, anyways. I'm using Eliquis. Again, no data versus Coumadin yeah. that I know of, but it's easier uh, for the patients to take. And, you know, I frame it as we're doing this to get the, the longest amount of life out of your valve, and this will help.
3: So, so we're doing it too, Brad, because it's in the guidelines. And so my discharge has them on oral anticoagulation for a month because it's in it's in the guidelines. Right. It's it's always kind of hard to go against the guidelines. If anything happens, then somebody's gonna say, "Well, you, you went against the guidelines." Yeah. But I don't. I'm not sure it makes any difference. But we, we're doing it too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and of course, there's no evidence. Maybe also for taver in a saver. You know, you have quite a lot of um, space between you know the the different prostheses there. Uh, does that make a difference for you? I mean, I know that there's no so, evidence. This is a
1: question you... I always, you know, think about because the popular TAVI, you know, as you know, has two arms, right? One was the patients without indication for anticoagulation and they compared DAPT with single antiplatelet therapy. And then the other cohort included patients who had an indication for anticoagulation and they were randomized to anticoagulation alone or anticoagulation plus a And the more conservative arm, you know, therapy one, which is you know, single antiplatelet therapy with aspirin in the cohort A and the anticoagulation alone in the cohort B. So we sort of follow that, but, you know, the caveat is that there were few patients with the valve and valve in the popular TAVI. If I remember the numbers correctly, it was less than 10%. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, a subgroup of patients where perhaps anticoagulation may be more beneficial, but I, I don't think we have definitive evidence to say it is better or or not better. But this is something that, you know, we will struggle with. We'll sort of, you know, make these decisions on a case-by-case basis. But, you know, this, I think, should be studied further.
0: Yeah. So maybe the, the real last question is about technology. Any Anything- Anything, Mike, that you can think of that should change in the near future to uh, provide a better lifetime management if you had to think about Valve and Valves?
3: Well, i think I think the, the to me peter the, the real question as we look at lifetime management is as we get into the 10-year data from the intermediate and low risk randomized trials and I think that's really going to give us a, a, a better idea of, of what we do as we move down the scale right now high risk is never going to tell us anything these people are 84 years old they're all going to die you know half of them are dead at five years you know, you, you can't then you move down the intermediate' 30 percent are dead at five years low risk is going to be a whole lot less and i think we're going these trials have allowed us to generate some of the best data that i I've seen in my lifetime. And I think that's what's going to, the data is, is what's going to affect what's going on. Everything that I think is really big on the horizon is, you know, how much does hemodynamics and patient prosthetic mismatch really mean? I think it means a lot. I've always thought it meant a lot. And I think both in surgery and in TAVR, I think we're, we're getting an idea that, you know, just getting out of the hospital at 30 days is probably not enough. And, and I think as we get better long-term data, we'll see things much like the use of mammaries. When I was young, we did all veins because it was easy. Once Floyd Loop's paper came out in 86, you got to do mammaries. And I think the data that we're, we're generating now for hemodynamics is going to be a game changer just like that.
0: Yeah, that is important. Brett. you're looking forward to that could change lifetime management? I think
2: what Mike said, the, the valve durability in the low risk is going to be key and will direct the conversation with a low risk young patient on SAVR versus. Is TAVR? Because right now we, we do not know. Oh. We know the surgical data, but we don't know the TAVR data. Right.
0: And maybe, Sashin, maybe you, you're more into the technology about lifetime management in Taver, in Taver, or Taver in Saver. Anything that you're looking
1: forward to? Well, I'm uh, certainly looking forward to learning more about, you know, TAVR and Tab. This is a hot topic right now. You know, we, we, we've done, you know, several patients and several patients are sort of uh, in the pipeline for for TAV and TAV, I think we will learn a lot more about, you know, looking at the CT upfront and say there is a 65 year old pa- patient, Peter, that you, you, you know, you, you asked earlier. So maybe based on the initial CT, you know, we predict whether a TAV and TAV is going to be a feasible option 10, 12 years, 15 years from now or not. So I think we're going to see a lot more data on this to look at the initial CT and simulate this and learn more about this. And then the second point I think is, you know, I'm not a surgeon, but the surgeons always say that the first card is the deepest, whatever the, you know, when a patient, you, you see a patient, you, you you treat them, you know, the best possible way the first time around, you know, yeah. yes, you can worry about what's going to happen 10 years, 12 years, 15 years from now, but you know, what is the best treatment for them right then, right now is the most important strategy, be it a mechanical valve, be it a large size surgical valve with a root enlargement, be it a supraannular valve with, you know, superior hemodynamics, but the first cut is the deepest.
3: Great. And you know, Sasha, and surgeons always tell the truth. So I'm glad you're listening.
1: I always
0: listen to you. <laughs> That's a good end of this podcast. <laughs> well, thanks very much, Dr. Mark Reardon, Sachin Goel, and Brad Leschnauer for this excellent discussion and gives us a lot of insight about lifetime management and some things that still need answers. And hopefully we can repeat this uh, this episode in the near future when there's more data available. Thank you all very much for joining us today here.
3: I hate Thank Peter. you, great Great time. Thanks, Peter. Thank you
0: for listening. Be sure to subscribe at metronic.com slash exchange to find additional podcast content.